Chapter 3, Part 3 of Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion. Edited by Gerald Bernie Smith. Chapter 3 The Study of the Old Testament Religion of Israel. Part 3 the textual criticism of the old testament the age of the existing manuscripts in any attempt to get at the writer's thought one of the first things to be done is to determine whether or not the document under consideration is precisely as its author left it if we have before us the actual manuscript as originally prepared and if the manuscript is clearly written and well preserved the task of the textual critic is reduced to a minimum but when as is the case with the old testament writings the original manuscripts lie by thousands of years in the past and their contents are available only in copies then the labors and problems of the textual critic rapidly multiply modern editions of the hebrew bible all practically reproduce the text as edited by jacob ben Haim in the second edition of the bomberg bible 1524 through 1525 a.d the best of these modern bibles are the following one biblia hebraica edited by r kittel second edition leipzig heinrichs 1913 this gives a limited conspectus of variant reading from the versions and of conjectural emendations at the foot of every page two the texts of the individual books edited by s baer and franz dielich leipzig taugnitz eighteen sixty nine through eighteen ninety five these editions offer a revised masoretic texts collations of various manuscripts and critical textual notes the books from exodus to deuteronomy inclusive were never published in this series three the very best editions of the masoretic text are those by david ginsburg he first published four and twenty holy books carefully edited after the masora and after earliest editions london trinitarian bible society eighteen ninety four this was put out again in a cheap edition by the trinitarian bible society london nineteen o six from this edition were eliminated all the variant readings from masoretic manuscripts which were incorporated in the first edition the same text was published again with a far more comprehensive array of variant readings london British and Foreign Bible Society, 1908 through 1911. This is the standard edition of the Masoretic text as far as it goes. The writings, these Psalms, Job, etc., remain to be published. Texts like the foregoing are constructed upon the basis of a careful and exhaustive comparison of all existing Hebrew manuscripts and printed editions no printed edition goes farther back than 1477 a d 
the oldest of the manuscripts now existing, of which there are approximately 2,000, go back only as far as the latter part of the ninth century A.D., with the exception of one fragment containing the Decalogue and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This latter fragment belongs apparently to the second century A.D. It exhibits a form of the Decalogue, presenting many textual variants from the recensions of Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, but accords on the whole more nearly with the latter than with the former passage. The remarkable fact regarding the rest of the manuscripts is the slight amount of variation among them. What variation there is, is of relatively slight importance, being for the most part due to easily recognizable errors and peculiarities of copyists. They all represent what is known as the Masoretic Text. This text was established sometime in the early Christian centuries, and succeeded in displacing all other texts. There developed different schools of Masoretic scribes, representing somewhat different interpretations of the textual tradition, but they all sought to perpetuate essentially the same text, and to guard it from error by most scrupulous precautions. The State of the Masoretic Text The word Masora means tradition, and the Masoretic scribes were so called because they aimed at nothing more than the reproduction of the text as it had been handed down by tradition. Yet the Masoretes themselves recognized the fact that the traditional text was not in perfect condition. This is evidenced by the preservation of two sets of readings, the Ketib and the Keri. The former represents the traditional consonantal text, the authority of which was so great that it could not be set aside. The latter is the amended text proposed by the Masoretes as a substitute for the traditional text. For example, in Isaiah chapter 46 verse 11, the Ketib has man of his counsel. The Keri has man of my counsel. In Ezekiel chapter 48 verse 16, the Ketib has five twice. The Keri only once. And in Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 3, the same is true of the word bend. The Keri is not always an improvement upon the Ketib, but it shows that the scribes did not regard the traditional text as free from errors. In addition to the corrections offered by the Keri, the Masoretes compiled a list of passages which they recognized as now presenting a different text from the original. These are eighteen in number, and are known as the emendations of the scribes. The passages involved are Genesis chapter 18 verse 22, Numbers chapter 11 verse 15, and chapter 12 verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 13, 2 Samuel chapter 16 verse 12, and chapter 20 verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 12 verse 16, 2 Chronicles chapter 10 verse 16, 
Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11, Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 17, Hosea chapter 4 verse 7, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12, Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, Malachi chapter 1 verse 13, Psalm 106 verse 20, Job chapter 7 verse 20 and chapter 32 verse 3, and Lamentations chapter 3 verse 20. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12, for example, the present text offers, We shall not die. The Masoretic testimony is that the original reading was, Thou diest not. Though the Masoretes formulated a set of rules providing for the copying of the Old Testament manuscripts in the most painstaking and accurate manner, so that the text they established has been perpetuated in the precise form in which they left it, very many errors had crept into it before it reached their hands. Most of these were of the kind commonly made by copyists, for example, confusion of similar letters, the wrong grouping of letters into words, the repetition of letters, words, and phrases, known as dictography, the writing of letters, words, and phrases only once, where they should have been written twice, known as haplography, the confusion of similar sounds, and the elision of words or phrases, due to their being between two occurrences of the same word, so that the eye of the scribe, after leaving the manuscript where the word first occurred, returned to the manuscript where the word occurred the second time, thus omitting the intervening material. Other errors were due to the damaged or illegible condition of the manuscript serving as copy, so that the scribe misread it. Some also were due to the deliberate corrections of copyists and editors, who considered the text in need of improvement of various kinds. Of the many errors arising in these or other ways, the Masoretes have indicated but a very small proportion. Much remains to be done. Emendation of the Text there are three main sources of help in the discovery and correction of errors, viz. 1. The examination of duplicate passages, 2. The comparison of the various versions, and 3. Scientifically controlled conjecture. Examination of duplicate passages. The first of these methods is, of course, capable of application only in a limited area. There are certain sections of the Old Testament which are found repeated almost verbatim. For example, Psalm 18 repeats 2 Samuel chapter 22. Psalm 14 repeats Psalm 53. Isaiah chapters 36 through 39 repeats 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 13 through chapter 20 verse 19. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 repeats Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17 repeats Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 6 through 21. Ezra chapter 2 verses 1 through 70 repeats Nehemiah chapter 7 verses 6 through 73. 
and large sections of Samuel and Kings are incorporated in the books of Chronicles. Comparison of passage with passage reveals many variations between the two, and that which is wrong in one may be right in the other. For example, Second Chronicles chapter 22 verse 11 retains and put him which has been lost from the hebrew text of second kings chapter 11 verse 2 these duplicate passages are of great value particularly in revealing to us the kinds of errors into which hebrew copyists were liable to fall and the degree of departure from the original that was possible on the part of the copyist or series of copyists between Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 4, for example, and Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, there are no less than 12 variations. Comparison of Ancient Versions The second method for the detection and correction of errors is a much more complicated and indirect one. The great ancient versions of the Old Testament were prepared at times all antedating the fixing of the Masoretic text, and in some cases, certainly upon the basis of texts belonging to recensions wholly different from the Masoretic. Through these versions, we are thus enabled to get behind the Masoretic text, and in very many cases, to improve upon it. A. The Septuagint. The most important of these versions is the Septuagint the greek translation made for the jews of alexandria which became the bible of both the jewish and the early christian communities the oldest portion of this greek version viz the translation of the pentateuch goes back probably to the days of ptolemy philadelphus 285 through 246 bc the entire old testament was probably put into greek by the close of the first century bc the task of discovering the Hebrew text that lies behind the Septuagint cannot be satisfactorily performed until we have determined the text of the Septuagint itself. The history of the Septuagint shows that in the early Christian centuries it was current in at least three recensions, viz. that of Origen, that of Lucian, and that of Hesychius. The text of the Septuagint is now extant in a large number of manuscripts, both unseals and cursives. The more important of these codices are the Vatican, the Alexandrine, Sinaiticus, Marcalianus, Ephraim Cyrus, Serenvianus, Petropolitanus, Coislianus, Tarenensis, and Cryptoferritensis. The task of careful and minute comparison and collation of these and the many other codices and manuscripts for the purpose of grouping them according to their common characteristics and of determining their relations to the three great recensions, or the necessity of recognizing still other recensions, is now occupying the time and energy of Septuagint scholars. When it shall have been completed, we shall have before us the main types of Septuagint text accepted in the early Christian centuries. It will then be in order 
to determine whether these recensions presuppose one common text from which they are all derived, or rather point to the fact that there was prior to the third century A.D. no single authoritative translation, but two or more competing versions. 1. The Old Latin Version As further aids in fixing the text of the Septuagint, we have certain translations made from it into other languages. First may be mentioned the Old Latin Version. This translation was made from a Greek text which antedated all three of the known recensions of the Septuagint mentioned above. Quote, the Old Latin, in its purest types, carries us behind all our existing manuscripts, and is sometimes nearer to the Septuagint, as the Church received that version from the synagogue, than the oldest of our uncial manuscripts. Readings which have disappeared from every known Greek manuscript are here and there preserved by the daughter version, and in such cases the Old Latin becomes a primary authority for the Greek text. Close quote. Sveta, Introduction to the Old Testament in Greek. 2. The Syrio-Hexaplar Version Another daughter version of the Septuagint is the so-called Syrio-Hexaplar text. This is a literal Syriac translation by Paul of Tella in 616-617 AD of the fifth column of Origen's Hexapla, which contained his recension of the Septuagint. The Syrio-Hexaplar reproduces the apparatus devised by Origen to indicate the relation of his revised Greek text to the current Hebrew text of his day. The testimony of the Syrio-Hexaplar is therefore of the greatest value for the history of the Septuagint text in general, and for the determination of Origen's recension in particular. 3. Other Daughter Versions Other daughter versions of value are 1. The Coptic, in three recensions, the Boharic, the Sahidic, and the Middle Egyptian which was probably made at least as early as the 3rd century A.D. 2. The Armenian version, which is a very Slavish rendering from the Greek, and hence helpful as a witness to the recension of Origen, whose text it seems to reflect. 3. The Slavonic Old Testament, which, on the other hand, insofar as it is a rendering from the Septuagint, is generally recognized as reflecting the Lucianic recension. B. Aquila, Symmachus, and Theodotion. Three other Greek versions are of exceptional value. The translation by Aquila was made about 130 AD, directly from the Hebrew of his time. Its purpose was to provide a version more serviceable to the Jews than the Septuagint which was held by the Jews to have suffered perversion at the hands of Christian apologetes. The virtue of Aquila's rendering, from the point of view of textual criticism, is its painfully literal character. Thus, the Hebrew upon which it was based is easily discerned through it. The translation by Theodotion is less valuable. It was made with the Hebrew text in view, 
but was rather a free revision of the Septuagint than an independent rendering. It dates from about 180 A.D. The translation by Symmachus is a free rendering made about 200 B.C., with the aid of the Septuagint and Theodotion's version, on the basis of the Hebrew. The Hebrew text used by all three of these versions was one almost identical with the Masoretic text. These versions were all incorporated in Origen's Hexapla. C. The Samaritan Pentateuch The Samaritan Pentateuch is really not a version, but the edition of the Hebrew text used by the Samaritan community. It exhibits about 6,000 variations from the Masoretic text, most of them merely orthographic. Aside from some deliberate changes and additions clearly made to subserve the Samaritan claims, the text is essentially the same as that of the Masoretes. This carries the Masoretic text of the Pentateuch back at least to the latter part of the 4th century B.C. The Samaritan makes but little contribution to the correction of the Masoretic text. It will be found in both the Paris and the London polyglots. D. The Targums The Targums are Aramaic versions and paraphrases of the Hebrew text. The main ones are the Targum of Onkelos, which covers the Pentateuch, and that of Jonathan, which deals with the prophets. The oldest of them dates from no earlier than the 4th or 5th century A.D., and in their present form they belong to a much later date. The Targum of Onkelos is a fairly close rendering of the Hebrew. The Targum of Jonathan is much more free, and in the prophetic books is often very paraphrastic. Very little textual aid is to be derived from any of the Targums. E. The Peshitta The Syriac version, known as the Peshitta, was made directly from the Hebrew, though it reflects a good deal of influence from the Septuagint, especially in the case of the Prophets and Psalms. The name Peshitta, which means simple, probably contrasts this version made from the Hebrew with other Syriac versions, like the Syrio-Hexaplar, which came through the Greek. The Hebrew text used seems to have been practically identical with our present Masoretic text. The cases of departure from it are relatively few, and the translation, therefore, is correspondingly weak as an aid to textual criticism. Only occasionally does it afford genuine help. The date of the translation is unknown. The oldest known Syriac manuscript bears the date 464 AD, and is the oldest dated manuscript of either Old or New Testament now known in any language. A critical edition of the Syriac text is an urgent need. F. The Vulgate the Latin Vulgate was begun by Jerome in 390 A.D. and completed in 405 A.D., and by the beginning of the 7th century was in common use among the Latin churches. This version, too, was made directly from the Hebrew, 
but its Hebrew was essentially the Masoretic text. The Vulgate has suffered the penalty of being a popular version, in that it has departed frequently from its original form. Many manuscripts are extant. Conjectural Emendations when everything possible has been done in the way of the comparison of passage with passage and version with version, there will still remain many a passage which defies successful translation or interpretation, by reason of its having become corrupted in transmission at a very early stage. It is beyond question that in many cases the text was already corrupt, when the translators of the Septuagint knew it. Under these circumstances, the only recourse for the textual student is to scientific conjecture. Emphasis should be laid upon scientific. The kind of conjecture required is that controlled by full knowledge of the factors entering into the textual situation and by sound judgment. This involves familiarity with the kinds of errors commonly made by copyists, knowledge of the Hebrew alphabet in all of its changing forms, rendering it possible to trace confusion of similar letters, a thorough knowledge of Hebrew grammar and lexicography, a tireless industry which will not shrink from a thoroughgoing comparison of all the renderings of the versions and of the textual readings they presuppose, and a clear understanding of the course of thought in the passage involved, that the reading proposed may harmonize with the context. This conjectural procedure can never yield certainty, but it will produce varying degrees of probability according to the difficulty of the problem and the learning and judgment of the critic. In some cases, the only choice for the scientific translator is between the adoption of such conjectural readings and a frank confession that the passage in question is hopelessly corrupt and unintelligible. A satisfactory translation of the Old Testament upon the basis of a critically restored text must wait until much preliminary investigation has been done by the textual critic. It is, of course, clear that the task of the thoroughgoing textual critic is so complex and laborious that only a very few students have the requisite tools for it or can give the time necessary to secure the proper equipment for it. The majority must be content with but a relatively slight degree of technique. With a working knowledge of Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, a very clear conception of the nature of the work to be done can be attained and considerable progress achieved in its actual accomplishment. As a beginning, no better step can be taken than that of comparing a large number of parallel passages in the Hebrew Old Testament and registering the variations there found and the nature of the error involved. Then, to get well on the way, the student should take up Driver's Notes on the Text of the Books of Samuel, from 1913, and work through it thoroughly. This will give familiarity with the methods of criticism and the sources of information. After that, 
the textual criticism of any book to the extent that the student's linguistic and technical equipment makes possible may be entered upon the omission of hebrew from the prescribed course for the degree of bachelor of divinity all the work thus far outlined involves a willingness on the part of the student to undertake a course of hard study in at least hebrew and greek from this labor many students are precluded either by mental ineptitude for this kind of study or by a desire to turn their energies in other directions indeed on december twenty first eighteen ninety eight the divinity faculty of the university of chicago upon the initiation of the late president harper head of the department of old testament language and literature voted to discontinue the requirement of hebrew of its candidates for the degree of bachelor of divinity placing it on the list of electives for the previously required courses in hebrew there were substituted certain courses in the interpretation of the english old testament which called for an equal if not greater amount of work it is scarcely necessary to say that the students in an overwhelming proportion have chosen the english courses and passed by the hebrew electives the policy has since commended itself to many of the leading theological schools of the united states in which it has been adopted for example the yale school of religion the general theological seminary episcopal new york the rochester theological seminary the newton theological institution the oberline theological seminary the garrett biblical institute the crozer theological seminary and the chicago theological seminary students who forego the delight of studying hebrew will of course always be dependent upon the scholarship of others in every question involving the translation of a hebrew passage the meaning of a hebrew word the linguistic testimony as to the date of a document the poetic forms and characteristics of hebrew rhythmical passages or the validity of the hebrew text one consolation is that such a student can never fully know how much he has lost furthermore if the student goes out from the divinity school only to drop his study of hebrew at that point it is fairly certain that as a rule it is better for him to have spent his time in the classroom and library in securing an intelligent and comprehensive view of the old testament literature it is better for him to know how this literature arose and to appreciate its true significance through the use of the english version than to have gained simply a smattering of hebrew of which he expects to make no further use while he has learned very little of the real meaning of the old testament as a whole because his time has been spent in a futile study of the language how best to study the old testament in english the student who knows no hebrew should provide himself with several good translations and be very careful in choosing his commentaries by reference to the pages of standard biblical journals he should discover for himself those commentaries 
whose translations and grammatical interpretations are most trustworthy and should avoid unscholarly works as he would the plague the student of the english text may console himself in part with the reflection that the historico-critical interpretation of the old testament places relatively little stress upon minute verbal exegesis that has its place to be sure but the main matter is the recovery of the great drift of hebrew religious thought and the full realization of the conditions under which it was wrought out it is a far more vital matter to know the situation that confronted amos for example and the main outlines of his teaching and attitude toward the problems of his day than it is to know precisely what was the meaning of amos chapter five verse twenty five or any other isolated passage into most of the tasks outlined in the following pages the student without a knowledge of hebrew can enter enthusiastically with the confidence that he can obtain most satisfactory results despite his handicap at the start end of chapter three part three